0: All right, so we are taking a three-week break from Revelation this morning to talk about Christmas. Woo! It's my favorite time of year. Um, But I am aware uh, of a couple of things. This time of year is complicated, if you think about it, because we're, we're really celebrating two different holidays. One is the world, our culture, um, celebrates what they call the holidays, and it's a derivative of what we call Christmas or the Advent season, which is, at this point, I don't know if you've noticed, a whole different thing, and the world has sort of adopted some of our principles and values for this time of year, for Christmas, um, and just taken Jesus out of it. And they're trying to kind of, you know, the, the baby Jesus is a symbol of hope or happiness or joy or family togetherness. And they take these sort of values. And, and I just, first of all, I'm okay with that, honestly, because it's clear. Um, don't get all, no one's taking Christmas away from you, all right? They're just doing a different thing. <laughs> and they have been for a very long time, Okay. And so what I want to do for the next three weeks is try to reorient you and myself towards Jesus so that you don't get sort of sucked into the the tide of the culture and forget, um, and and, and that we don't oversimplify it by just going around saying Jesus is the reason for the season and going on, that we actually know what that means. Um, He's not just the reason, he is the season, all right? And, and he's not just, it's not just a little baby that's a symbol of something. He is something, okay? And he still is. The other thing I'm aware of that makes it more also complicated is for some of us this time of year, unlike myself, I'm all happy and chipper and I love this time of year. For some of us, it's not. For some of you, like you're separated from family <clears throat> and this is depressing this time of year. Um, for some of you, like painful things have happened to you around this time of year People have died, other things have happened, and it's just an annual reminder of something painful. And for you, it's like you you, you paint on the perma-smile, and you just feel gross inside. As soon as the day Thanksgiving is over, and the turkey has been put away, and the Christmas carols start playing, of course now that's before Thanksgiving, you just feel sick inside. Because there's a loneliness or something. And for you and for those like me who, I just love the whole Christmas thing. I get totally into it. And it's easy for all of us to forget what this is about. That this is actually a holy day for the body of Christ around the world. And it has been for centuries. And I want to kind of orient us around those things. So I'm going to do three three topics over three weeks. Um, The first week, this week, is the king is born. The second week is the sun is born, and the third, the light is born, focusing on three aspects or ways that Christ has presented to us in the scripture, all right? Um, the king, obviously this week, talking about Jesus as king, all the prophecies, all the Christmas scriptures about Jesus as our king, and then next week, talking about him as the son, which is more focused on his, his, his presence with us, Emmanuel, God with us. It's a really comforting topic. And then the last week is the light, light breaking into the darkness. And then Christmas Eve. So I just want to encourage you, by the way, this is a great time of year to become an evangelist. Okay? Because we do have this kind of parallel thing happening with the culture, right? They don't, they don't overlap so much anymore, but it's parallel. And people are talking about biblical themes and listening to even songs about, with some pretty deep theological content in them having no idea what it means. And it would not be weird for you to invite somebody, for example, to church. These next three weeks would be great, a great time for you to bring somebody to church. Because every week the gospel's gonna be very clear. And it's gonna be in a, in, in a way that kinda of connects to something they already understand about in the culture about Christmas. Or Christmas Eve is another great, I mean goodness, if you got somebody who hates sitting still for long, it's 45 minutes and it'll be, huh? Heather says 30 minutes. Okay, it's 30 minutes. Right. 30 minutes plus an hour sermon. No, I'm kidding. It's not true. It'll be 30 minutes. Um, So if you're, you know, I just want to encourage you to start thinking about neighbors, friends, coworkers, random strangers, and just think about, like, okay, this is a great time, low-risk time to invite somebody into the church, all right? Um, not just to fill the church, but to fill the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. So, thinking about Jesus as king, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you were here last year for the very long series on First and Second Samuel, this will be familiar to you, if you can remember it. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. So this is a prophecy to King David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel." And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name's sake, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, so God God prophesies through Samuel to David. There's a lot we can unpack here. I'm going to just kind of hit the high points you want to get the full breakdown, go find this sermon from last year in the Samuel thing, all right? But he's prophesying to David that he's going to be king. And as he's prophesying to David about his kingdom, he then starts talking about who comes after him, right? That there's going to be other kings that come after him. But then he goes a step further, and he says several times, I will establish your kingdom forever. Even when there's unrighteous kings, your kingdom will be established forever forever that's quite a promise so the only way to see this fulfilled like forever means forever right he's not being facetious or metaphorical he's saying i'm going your kingdom is going to be around for forever even after you're gone and even after your kids are gone and their kids are gone all the way down until all through eternity think about how long forever is it's been thousands of years since this is promised, and it is still not finished. Why? Because it goes forever. That's the timestamp on this prophecy. So, how can that be true? Because David died. He says his house, meaning his dynasty or his legacy, is going to go for forever. That doesn't mean his actual literal house, right? So, David will die, and his son Solomon will build the temple, and he will continue in the covenant promises. This covenant is unconditional. This is amazing. Meaning even if, someone, even, if, even if a king is unrighteous, God will still preserve the kingdom. He'll discipline the king. And we see that over and over again. You have a wicked king. God disciplines the king and then finds a way to bring someone else in to continue. The kingdom continues forever. We see this in 1 Kings 11 with Solomon. It's a really interesting scripture. It says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon... Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statues that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So we rebuke Solomon He says, I'm going to maintain the kingdom and give it to someone else. This is really important because it sets up a conflict where God is looking for a righteous king, and he keeps bringing people in, and they keep blowing it. I mean, if anybody could get it right, it was David, and he didn't. If anybody could get it right, it would be Solomon. Solomon, with all his wisdom and insight and power and wealth, and still He couldn't maintain righteousness for his entire life. He couldn't be righteous enough to keep the kingdom in his hand, and God had to take it away from him. How will Solomon's kingdom last forever? Unless he and David lived forever, which they did not. How is this promise, this prophetic promise, going to be fulfilled? So after a string of kings that occasionally do well but eventually blow it, Israel begins to see that God must raise up a righteous king to fulfill the covenant. And we begin to see these prophecies from various prophets about that. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of them prophesied it. I've got a list of scriptures in your notes. If you don't believe me, I'll read one, right? Isaiah 9, 6 7. Classic Christmas scripture, right? But look what he's saying. He's picking up this thread. and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So he calls this coming king, that's going to be this great king, this righteous king, he calls him mighty God. Now either this is idolatry or it's not about a human king. Right? It's not idolatry. (laughs) It's about a king who is going to be God. God is going to come. I don't even know if Isaiah totally understood what he was saying. I don't know. I can't wait to ask him. can't wait to ask all these Old Testament prophets. Like, how often did you understand, have some sense of what in the world you were saying? Because so much of it didn't, doesn't connect until Jesus comes. And so imagine being this guy or the people hearing this going, that sounds great, but what? It's only in hindsight, in scriptural, biblical hindsight, can we really see how this connects. So he calls him mighty God, and he's coming. This king is coming, and he's going to be righteous, but he's going to preside over the throne of David and his kingdom. He connects it right back to David. And Samuel's prophecy to him, saying you're going to have a kingdom that knows no end, that it goes on forever, it's everlasting beyond you, and it will not be dependent on your, your righteousness. If you blow it, I'll rebuke you and give the kingdom to someone else, but I'm not going to let the kingdom perish. Isaiah tells us that the son of David is coming that will be righteous enough to keep the covenant with God and to have the everlasting kingdom he says, There's going to come a king who can do all of it. Again, in Isaiah 11, 11, chapter verse 1, and also a few verses later in chapter verse 10, we have this idea of the root of Jesse, which is, uh, you can do a whole sermon on that by itself. You're like, who's Jesse, right? It's such an American redneck name now. It's funny. <laughs> it's always awkward to read that verse. You're like, Jesse? <laughs> who's that? Well, that's David's dad. That's the progenitor, the, the father of the covenant blessing. He's the root, right? The root of Jesse or the shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse, right? That's the two ways it's put in Isaiah, meaning he is the, the, the progenitor. That's the right word of this family line going through David. And Isaiah says the Messiah is going to come from that, from Jesse, Then we have the genealogical records, which maybe you've skipped over a hundred times in your reading of the Gospels. They're really important. I'll tell you why they're important. Matthew 1, 1 through 17 is probably the biggest one. And then Luke 3, 23 to 28. um, Both show what they're doing is they're showing a direct line from David to Jesus. You see why that's important? It's to fulfill Samuel's prophecy and Isaiah's prophecy, and Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and all of those prophets. It's to show Jesus isn't just metaphorically in the line of David. He is literally a son of David. He's in his family line. I think that's amazing. I don't know how, if you think about how do you pull that off if you're God. Every child, and every marriage, and every life, between David and Jesus, was orchestrated sovereignly by God so that every child would lead to David. It's just a mind-boggling thought. It's fun to think about, though, when you're just bored in the bathroom, want something to think about. Just start working on that in your head. How, How did God do that? How did he ensure? right? It's just amazing. All right, enough of that. Luke 1, 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, talking to Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. Sound familiar? The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, surprise, you're pregnant. And guess what? And Gabriel tells her, essentially, this is that guy. This is that king. In your belly. In your womb right now is the one Samuel prophesied, Isaiah prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied, Jeremiah prophesied about. The one everyone's been waiting for, the king who's not just going to be sitting on a literal physical throne and rule an earthly kingdom in Israel, but he is going to be the righteous king who rules over David's kingdom, which is a bigger kingdom than David. It's the kingdom of God that's a lot of pressure you moms think you worry about eating the right stuff while you're pregnant you know doing all the right things taking the right pills going to the doctor at the right times, sleeping on the right side of the bed or whatever it is all the things imagine having the hope of the world and the universe in your belly quite a thing. So the New Testament teaches clearly and plainly that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant promise of Samuel 2 Samuel 7. And you've got the genealogy of Luke 3, the genealogy of Matthew 1, you got Romans 1 3 to 4, Matthew 15, all of them it's very clear all the way up to Revelation 22, which we will get to eventually. Probably this time next year. That's at the very end. All of it ties back to 2 Samuel. Think of it. I mean, sometimes you've got to get your head around this truth that all of history is God's story, that He is writing with His hand. It is not, nothing is random. Nothing is just sort of you floating through your day, randomly doing your thing. All of history is in God's, it's just amazing. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Because this isn't just about Israel. This isn't just about the kingdom of Israel. It's far bigger than that. While this is a covenant first given to Israel, it's expanded way bigger through Christ. So Peter brought the Spirit to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas took the gospel to the Gentiles. But perhaps the clearest place we see this in Scripture where it expands is from James in Acts 15. So Acts 15, 14 through 18, Simeon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant, or the rest That's what that word means. Of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. All he's saying is this started with us few Israelites. And now Jesus has expanded it to all the world, all the Gentiles. The rest of mankind, everybody else. this first generation of the church in Acts, very powerfully, you know, highly motivated by this truth that this was not just for them, it was for everybody. That this prophecy in 2 Samuel was not just, certainly wasn't just for David. It wasn't just for David's kids. It wasn't even just for those that would come after him in Israel. It was for the entire world. It's what motivated them to leave home and take this to the world. Imagine having the most precious thing the world has ever seen. I mean, think how long did it take the Hubbards this week to send out pictures of their little kid, their new baby? I don't know how, just a few hours. And those pictures are traveling fast. It's a cute baby, a little miracle baby. And they're not afraid to send out pictures. And this is the sense I get from these first 12 who got this revelation. The Messiah has come. We knew him. We saw him. He came. We sat under his teaching. We followed him around and did all the things with him. And then he died and then he rose again and he ascended to heaven and he sent us out to do what? To expand this beyond our borders. Go take pictures of your baby and send them out. It's precious. It's good news. When God has finished what he started with Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, the entire world will be the house of David. That's what we're heading towards. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. We'll see that phrase repeated over and over and over again throughout Revelation. That that's the goal. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group is what that means. God isn't care much about where we draw lines on the map he's not organizing himself based on how we've organized ourselves i love that idea he said every people every people group i'm going to bring myself to i'm going to reveal send the gospel to through the church and when all of them have heard i'm coming back the goal being that the whole world every nation not just some of them not just a few of them but all have heard Revelation eleven fifteen. 15, we haven't gotten there yet in our Revelation study, but here's what it says. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Think about that. The kingdom of this world that you and I live in has become the kingdom of God. It has been converted. Make no mistake, we are in the business of of world domination it is what we do I know that's creepy language but it's the truth but it's not domination for our own purpose it's not the dom- domination for subjugation to us it's for subjugation to Christ the king right that's the language scripture uses Jesus is Lord that's what Lord means he's king He's going to rule over, and he is a wonderful, benevolent, good, and gracious, almighty king. Right? It's not bad. It's not a bad gig to be submitted to this king. He is not like any other king you have ever seen. He is a perfect, righteous, glorious king, not an unrighteous king like we've all seen. If I said to you, you're going to have to be submitted to an unrighteous king, that would be bad news. But if I said to you, you're going to be, have to be submitted to the perfect, wonderful, loving, merciful, gracious king. Well, where do I sign? So I think we don't like the word submission because we have seen so much broken examples of authority. and So you start talking about Jesus as king, I mean, oh, oh, oh. but he's a perfect, righteous king. So Jesus is not only the king of the Israelite kingdom, he is the king of the kingdom of God, which is not just the world, but it's everything. So I think it's easy to forget that all this Christmas pageantry that we have, like all the, the gold and the sparkly and the red and the ceremony, the pageantry of it all, I goodness, you walk through Walmart and it's jingling and sparkling and everything's gold and shiny and there's a reason for that. There's a place where that comes from. Is that the king is born. The king has come and he has inaugurated the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. His hand. <laughs> right Here it is. Luke 1, 26-33, we read part of this already. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We're not that different from Mary. That by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in you. He is in your heart. He's not in your womb. He's in your heart. And you carry him with you wherever you go. And when you let him speak through you and live through you and act through you and demonstrate his kingship through you, then the world sees. They see something other than all the unrighteousness that they've always seen before. The church keeps failing, doesn't it? We set up kings, celebrities, leaders, this, this one is righteous. And then they fall. It's almost a guarantee. Please don't ever do that to me. Because I'll just blame you. It'll be a bad thing. No, I won't. I'm kidding. But the, I think the principle is accurate. You put somebody up in the place of Jesus and say they're righteous, they're wonderful. We set them up for failure. When the truth is, each one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, by the Spirit, you have been filled with the Spirit of Christ. He lives and reigns and rules in you, and wherever you go, he goes. So when you walk out into the world, you carry the king with you. It's a mysterious thing, but it's absolutely true. So I would like to pray for us. that we would get our eyes off of ourselves and off of the stuff of secular holiday celebrations and <laughs> get our hearts focused on the king and work out what it means to walk around in the world with him in us. Amen? So why don't we stand up together and I'll pray. Uh, we can identify with Mary in so many ways, and one of those ways is the daunting task of carrying the Savior around in us. Lord, we know that your Spirit is dwelling within us, and I pray, God, that we would be submitted to the King in the way we live, the way we think. God, I pray that you would work through us as your people and as your church God I pray that this year as Christmas comes and goes that we would not allow the truth to get too small that you did not stay in the manger this is much bigger than a baby in a manger this is the king, the Messiah coming to rule and reign to usher in his new kingdom and we thank you for making us a part of that lord you activate our voice in the culture activate our voices god whatever gifts that we have that they would be activated in the culture that we would stop trying to fight the culture wars and complain about christmas not being on starbucks cups and all kinds of things like that and being worried about things that are of little consequence. God, help us to be aware when we leave here even this morning that the King is in us. Where we go, He goes. God, raise up a clear voice in the body of Christ in this country. God, that we would speak with authority because the King is speaking. Help us, God, to be humble and be submitted to you in this, in the name of Jesus. Amen.